Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. So good to be back with you this morning, Gainesville, Oakwood, online. Uh, man, uh, love this time of the year, love this season. Um, starting to cool down a little bit. Um, if you have kids, uh, last week, or the, the, maybe you're still doing it, I don't know, uh, still raiding your kids' candy stashes. If there's any kids in here that look at you and go, what's he talking about? Say, that he's not talking about us. Um, you don't have to explain where the Twix and the Reese's went. Um, but man, love this time of the year. Cooler weather. Um, uh, how many of you have already discovered so many clocks that need to be reset? Like microwave, car, oven, stove. Um, if you haven't reset them, welcome to the early service um, this morning. Uh, if you're with us in Oakwood, uh, so good to be back with you as well. Love just being able to gather together. This morning, we're going to be starting a brand new series called Unmet Expectations. Unmet Expectations. And if you're a sports fan and if you grew up in Georgia, you are very well acquainted with Unmet Expectations, right? So, um, you know, as a matter of fact, grew up, we lived three and a half years in Raleigh, um, which is great for college basketball. It is terrible for college football. Um, lived 10 years down in Jacksonville, um, but have always stayed uh, just a local, local sports fan. So I grew up with a lot of unmet expectations, whether it was the Braves or the Falcons or Georgia. Um, and I was told uh, during run-through, when you say Georgia, don't say we, because not all of us are Georgia fans. So I won't say we. So for all the football fans out there, Georgia fans, um, I'm just kidding. Uh, congratulations, Georgia Tech, uh, for winning two games in a row. That's awesome. No, nah, it, it, it's all... It, Listen, when you're a sports fan, you, it's so crazy how your emotions, they rise and they fall on the expectations of your team. As a matter of fact, you go back to the 1980s, it was kind of easier to be a Braves fan back then because you had no expectations, right? And if you are a Georgia fan or you are a Braves fan now, you're not really quite sure what to do with yourself because your team wins. And, you know, we're kind of an uncharted territory there. So, um, but, you know, we all, to varying degrees, we face unmet expectations and uh, much more varying degrees, much more uh, consequential nature. Uh, we all face unmet expectations, like when life doesn't turn out the way that we thought that it would. Um, and I, I think it's probably fair to say, whether you're Gainesville, whether you're Oakwood, whether you're joining us online, every single one of us, to different degrees, has unmet expectations in our lives. And, you know, God's not surprised by our unmet expectations. As a matter of fact, not only is He not surprised by them, but He has a word to them. And one of the things that we're going to be doing through the, uh, through the month of November for the next four weeks is we're going to be traveling down the book of Ruth together. It's a book in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and encourage you to turn over to the book of Ruth. Probably the easiest way to find Ruth is to, to open your Bible to the table of contents and then find the page number. Um, or if you're like me, just open to where the ribbon marker is. Um, so uh, Book of Ruth is actually going to give us some rails to ride down when we look at what God says about our unmet expectations. Like, where is God in the midst and in the middle of when life doesn't turn out the way that we thought that it would? And I can't think of a better book for us to go through, a better narrative that, for us to walk through than the narrative in the Book of Ruth. 
together. Um, and as it's going to unfold, and especially this morning, starting off our series, you're going to see how God really encounters and how God intersects with our unmet expectations. Now, if you're uh, still finding uh, Ruth, let me kind of give you a little bit of background on the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, along with the book of Esther, they're the only two books in the 66 book, uh, 66, uh, book canon of Scripture. So, the Bible's made up of 66 individual books, two of which, Ruth and Esther, the only two named after women. Uh, these two books, the, uh, the main theme of both of those books is God's deliverance and what God can do through the lives that are just faithfully obedient to Him. And how God can bring deliverance to not just individuals, but entire generations through just the faithful obedience of His people. Uh, the, the background, the historical context of the book of Ruth uh, is going to fall on the timeline probably about 1160 to 1100 B.C. So it's about 3,000, over 3,000 years ago uh, that the book of Ruth takes place. Um, and one of the things that we're going to see together is the book of Ruth is actually going to fall after the book of Judges. And let me, let me kind of give you a nutshell version of what's going on in history at this point in time. Nation of Israel, they're enslaved by Egypt. God delivers them, brings them out, an event called the Exodus, brings them to a, a land called the Promised Land or Canaan, modern day Israel. And uh, the nation of Israel turned their backs on God. There's a generation that passed from him bringing them out of slavery to them bringing them into the promised land. They've settled the promised land, generation passes, and the people begin to turn their backs on God. They begin to feel that they need God a little bit less and a little bit less and a little bit less. And as each generation passes that puts uh, less of a priority on God, the generation following puts even a less priority on God. So God sends uh, a group of people known as the judges. These are men and women that basically become the enforcers of God's word and will to the people. Um, and not just word and will to the people, but also to the surrounding nations that are looking to pick off the nation of Israel. Some of these judges you may recognize names like uh, Gideon or Samson. There's one by the name of Deborah. Um, all of these judges, they have a purpose in the nation and in the life of Israel. And their purpose is to recapture the heart of the people and to turn the hearts of the people back to God. And the reason I tell you that is the last verse in the book of Judges, which is the first, or which is the verse right before we enter Ruth, gives us a lot of context for where we're going to be going over the last month. And this is what it says in Judges 21 25. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes, which means they did nothing right in the eyes of God. They had no leadership. They, they all lived by their own moral compass, and they did nothing right in the sight of God because they had abandoned God. So this is where we actually pick it up in the book of Ruth. Gives a little bit of context. So if you have it with you, we're going to be starting uh, in verse 1. So Ruth 1.1 1, 1, says this, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came across the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab. Now, modern day Moab, or uh, Moab is modern day Jordan. 
modern-day Bethlehem is still Bethlehem is still modern-day Bethlehem. Bethlehem, if you've been following the events in the news, is part of the West Bank area, the Gaza area, this Palestinian-occupied area. So these two regions are still very much in existence. Moab just goes by a different name. It goes by the name of Jordan. So, so a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech. Any pregnant women out there looking for a name? Elimelech is still out there. Call him Eli. And his wife was Naomi. Easier to remember. Their two sons were Milan and Kilian. So if you're pregnant with twins, consider it. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman by the name of Orpah, Orpah, not to be confused with Oprah, Orpah, and the other woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Milan and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons and or her husband. Now, again, lay of the land for this woman, Naomi. Severe uh, famine hits their hometown, their, their area, the region of Bethlehem. They make the difficult decision. Elimelech makes the difficult decision to transfer up the road to modern-day Jordan, to Moab, to a foreign country, in search of work, in, in search of food, in search of security. So they settle in a foreign country. Elimelech, the husband, the head of the family, he dies. Because they settle in the country, Naomi is left to be a single mom of two boys. These two boys meet local girls, Moabite girls, one by the name of Orpah, one by the name of Ruth. They get married and then both of her sons die. So Naomi is left in a foreign country. She's widowed in a foreign country. And she's grieving the loss of two sons. And then there are two young women that are looking to her going, okay, so what do we do now? You can almost feel the sense of hurt and grief and loss for somebody like Naomi. Needless to say... I guarantee you, Naomi, looking at her current condition, she never thought that life would turn out the way that it had turned out. Needless to say, Naomi had a lot of unmet expectations in that, in that time and in that moment. And listen, you may not be in the same, uh, same ballpark as Naomi, but all of us, to some varying degree, have unmet expectations in our lives, right? As a matter of fact, I think that unmet expectations are going to come in one of three categories. Going to come in one of three categories. If you're taking notes with us this morning, I want you to jot this down because we're going to come back to these in just a moment. Unmet expectations are brought about unrealistic goals. Some of my unmet expectations are brought about some of my unrealistic goals. These are things, these are plans, these are dreams, these are aspirations that I have for myself that God may not have for me. So last week, we talked about how, depending on your age and stage of life, you have different uh, answers to the question of, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And one of my answers was, I want to be a professional baseball player. Well, here's the problem. I rode the bench in Pee Wee. You know, the fact is, if you can't start on your little league team, probably not going to make it. So that could be a dream or a hope or an aspiration of mine. That's just unrealistic. I had a really good friend of mine that his mom was convinced and she was, I mean, not just like in a mom way, but she was full on convinced that her son was going to play in the NBA. And nobody really had the heart to tell her, hey, let's, let's start with like having him start on his high school team first. 
a lot of us, we have some unmet expectations because we may have set some unrealistic goals. The second category of our unmet expectations, they can be brought about by effects of my past decisions. Effects of my past decisions. These are results of my previous choices that still are impacting my life, and they impact the way that I see my prospect for the future. So you and I, I think that we've all, if we were given a chance to go back in time and to make some decisions, to make, make some different choices, we would take up that offer and we'd probably go back in time, make some different decisions, right? Because we've seen how the choices that we made back then are playing out and impacting our now. And how they're impacting our now, they really start to influence and impact how we see things going for us in the future. But a lot of times we have these unmet expectations brought about by the effects of my past decisions. And then there's a third category, and this is kind of the category that Naomi fell into, is events out of my control. We have some unmet expectations brought about by events that are completely out of my control. Let me give you some examples of those. It could be the loss of a friend or a family member, completely out of your control. It can be a a, a medical diagnosis that was completely out of your control. It can be the decisions or the choices made by someone else that has a personal real impact on you, completely out of your control, right? So, When life doesn't turn out the way that we thought, regardless of why, if it's because of unrealistic goals, effects of my past decisions, or events events out of my control, the question then becomes, how do we respond to our unmet expectations? And this brings us to our big idea throughout this series, is God is still in control when life seems out of control. God is still in control when life seems out of control. God still is in control when life seems out of control. You see, how we respond to our unmet expectations in large part determines the rest of our story. Remember how I asked you, like if you're taking notes with you, we're going to come back, those three categories. Let Let me give you some homework this week. If you wrote down the phrase, unrealistic goals, beside that in parentheses, write down this scripture reference, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. You may say, okay, what does Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 say? You're going to have to look it up. And listen, I think that we all have unmet expectations as a result of maybe some unrealistic goals. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 really begins to anchor me in a lot of ways when I begin to set unrealistic goals. Or maybe your unmet expectations fall in the category of effects of past decisions. Let me get you to write down two references. Lamentations, Lamentations 3, 22 through 24. Lamentations 3, 22 through 24. And Romans 8, 1 through 2. So Lamentations, if you want to know how to spell that, it's L-A-M, period. Lamentations 3, 22 through 24, and Romans 8, 1 through 2. For the events out of your control, there's a lot that we could go through, but let me give you two that are really just huge sources of encouragement. John 16, 33, Jesus' words to the disciples. John 16, 33, and then 2 Corinthians 
4, 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. You see, regardless of which, of which category my unmet expectations fall under, God has a word for each and every one of those categories. But i got to tell you, church, again, your story isn't over. One of the things I love about the book of Ruth is the book of Ruth has been referred to as one of the greatest short stories of all time. It's four chapters, 85 verses. And it is such a rich, rich reminder to us that our story is not over. As bleak as things may seem now, God is not finished with you yet. No matter your, 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 your previous goals that you may have set, Can I call a timeout and, and, and let's talk about just for a second, just sit down on that whole thing about like the goals that we set for ourselves. Listen, there's nothing wrong and there's a lot right with setting personal goals for ourselves. Nothing wrong and a lot right with that. But we need to understand that the win for us is not attaining our personal goals. The win for us is to be in alignment with God's plan and purpose for our lives. And the more we're in alignment with God's plan and purpose, the more that our goals start to line up with the goals of God. So listen, I get it to where there may be some unmet expectations because right now you may be sitting here, you may be in Oakwood, you may be watching with us online, you may be going down the road with us right now, and you thought by now you would be married. And there's an unmet expectation there. Listen, God's not finished with your story yet. You may be sitting here this morning and you may be thinking, listen, I thought by this time, by, by the time I reached this certain birthday, I would have more financial security than I feel right now. Listen, God's story's not finished with you. God's not finished writing your story yet. I thought that I would have more of an idea of the direction in which I'm heading right now. Listen, God's not finished with you yet. The story that God is writing in and through you, He is still continuing to write. So what God has for us in the midst of our unmet expectations is living between what I would call the promises of God and the payoff of God. So anyway, here's what I mean by that. Claiming the promises of God, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for your good, plans for your welfare, plans to prosper you, and actually living in the payoff of God. So the question for us this morning, no matter where you are, who you are, what you come in here with, is how do we live between the promise and the payoff of God? How do we really bring our unmet expectations to God and allow God to make sense of these unmet expectations while also living simultaneously between the promise and the payoff? Glad you asked. There's three things, that, three steps that I want to walk you through this morning they're going to help guide us, that are going to set the foundation for where we're going for the rest of this series of living between the promise and the payoff. So if you're taking notes with us this morning, here's the first one, is return to where you last powerfully experienced God. If you are at a point right now to where you feel that, there was a, that there's a distance between you and God, that you most powerfully experienced God back then, that if I were to say, hey, tell me about your walk with God, and you start with a story that refers to the past tense. Here's all that we're saying. Return to where you last experienced God in a powerful way. 
there's nothing wrong with us. It's a very human thing for us to come into any service, to come onto any campus with a sense of desperation. That I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I feel like I'm out of options and I feel like I don't have the answers. So what am I supposed to do? Let me show you from the book of Ruth how Ruth handled this, how Naomi handled this with Ruth. This is in verse 7. It says, With her two daughters-in-law, talking about Orpah and Ruth, she, Naomi, set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Let me get you to do something. If you have a Bible with you, whether it's a digital copy or whether it's a hard copy, I want you to underline or highlight, they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Because that's a powerful phrase. Here's We'll unpack that in a moment. In the Old Testament, this is before Jesus came and before the Holy Spirit was sent to stay. The presence and the power of God was most commonly associated with a location. So where the people of Israel were, that's where the presence of God was. Namely, this location was most identified as Judah. All right. So Naomi's decision to return to her hometown of Judah in a way, was a decision to return back to the presence of God. But it doesn't mean that Naomi didn't have options. Here are the three options that Naomi had. Naomi could have stayed in Moab. She could have stayed in modern-day Jordan and just kind of sat and be paralyzed by the hurt, by the grief, by the loss, by the unmet expectations, by, the un, by, by lack of answers, and seemingly a lack of options. But if she stayed paralyzed, then she would have perpetually stayed victimized. Or she could have gathered up her stuff and she could have headed north. She could have gone more north or she could have gone east in search of another opportunity. More work, more opportunity, whether it's north, whether it's east. Or she could go back down south. She could take the road that would lead them back to Judah. Here's the reason that this phrase is so important. They took the road that would lead them back to Judah. In the midst of all of our decisions, in the midst of our hurt, our loss, our pain, our grief, our unmet expectations, we are all taking a road of sorts that will always lead us to a destination. We're always doing something with everything that we have going on in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. And just like Naomi, we face the three options. We can either feel that we've been hit so hard by life that we feel paralyzed, so we just sit in the paralysis, in the guilt, in the loss, in the grief. But if we stay paralyzed where we are, we will always be victimized. And listen, I'm not saying that from a place of like uh, uncompassion or being ungracious to you. Here's what I'm saying is God looks at you and God has this label and this banner over you if you are son or daughter of his saying more than conquerors, not victimized, not being a victim. Listen, it is possible to be victimized without living as a victim. You can be a conqueror, more than a conqueror, through Christ, while still being victimized. But we're all on this road that leads to a destination. Choice one that we face with all of our unmet expectations is we can stay put, paralyzed in our loss, in our grief, and our unmet expectations, but we will stay forever in a state of being victimized if we do that. Option two is we can look at our pain, our loss, our grief, our unmet expectations, and we can take on the posture, God, I gave you a good run, and look where it got me. I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to go do my own way, in my own timing. 
So whatever your unmet expectations are, you do have the choice to turn away from God and to go pursue meeting those expectations in a way that seems right to you. But let me tell you, if you do that, you're going to find yourself in the company of the last verse of the book of Judges. They had no ruler, they had no king, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. Which means that our default is never holiness. It is never righteousness. It is never godliness. Our default is always selfishness. Our default always leads us down a road that the destination is destruction and more hurt and more grief and more pain and more unmet expectations. And it's this cycle there. So we can stay paralyzed or we can take a different road away from God or we can go back, we can take the road back to experiencing where we experience the power and the presence of God. Let me kind of get you, let me get you to do an exercise with me this morning. I want in your mind, Gainesville Oakwood online, in your mind, I want to ask you this question. I want you to go back mentally to a time, to a place, to a moment, to a space to where you felt the presence of God the most powerfully. If I were to ask you, hey, tell me about your most vivid, your most powerful experience with God. What's the setting? What's the backdrop? How old were you? There's some of us that may say, hey, listen, a couple months ago, and then you go on with the story. There's some of us that would say, hey, listen, when I was in middle school or when I was in high school, there's some of us that may say, when I was in my early 20s, what was that time? What was that moment? Can I encourage you with this, church? This is something that, that, that a really good friend of mine told me years and years ago, and I've held on to this ever since. The moment that you most powerfully experience God, God not only wants to bring you back to that moment, but He wants to surpass that moment. In other words, here's the hope. The hope is, is your best days spiritually are not behind you. They don't have to be behind you. There's nothing sadder or there's nothing more depressing than talking to a group of Christians that when you talk to them about their experience with God and following God and really just like being in the presence of God, that all the conversations are past tense. And maybe they go back years or maybe they even go back decades. And I'm sitting there going, man, God has something so much for us now. So with that time, with that moment, with that space, kind of in the forefront of your mind, on the other side, I want you to think through your different options as you see them playing out of how to meet your unmet expectations. What are your different options? I can just get up and I can move towns and I can start over somewhere else. I can go to a different setting. I can be around different people. Whatever your unmet expectations are, what are the options that you see them of how you could meet your unmet expectations? So here's what I want to get you to do. Putting those two things on the scale, and what I'm trying to do is bring you to a fork in the road, bring you to a point of decision. Bringing those two, putting those two things on a scale, my options as I see them versus what it was like when I experienced God most powerfully. Which side weighs more to you? 
You see, for Naomi, she knew her options. It's not, it's not like she didn't have options. But she uh, chose to return home. She chose to return to a time to where she experienced God the most. Here's my hope and here's my prayer for you, church. It's not that we would ignore and come to a point to where we go, listen, I'm going to follow Jesus because i got no options. It's we come to a point to where we go, listen, I understand that i got options, but I'm going to follow Jesus because there's nothing like living in a sense of peace and living in the purpose that He has created me for. So when we live in the midst of the promise and the payoff, it starts with us turning back to where we experience God the most. But we need to understand that decision is a starting point. It's not the end point. It's a starting point. And if that's the decision that you and I make this morning to either turn towards God or return towards God, then there's a vital piece of the path that I need to show you. And it's, it comes with the second step of living between the promise and the payoff. It's this, is we've got to prioritize faithfulness. We've got to prioritize faithfulness. Here's what I mean by that. The choice to return to God in our faithfulness or in our desperation is a starting point. But in the journey, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for detours. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for off-ramps. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for alternate paths. For us to get off of our path of faithfulness and to pursue something else in a different direction. Let me show you in the book of Ruth what I mean is if you look back at verse 15, give you some context to this, Naomi, the mother-in-law, had already talked to her two daughters-in-law, remember, Orpah and Ruth, and basically said, hey, listen, I don't, I don't have any answers. Here's what I just know that I need to do. I need to return to my hometown of Bethlehem. I need to go to where I experienced God the most. I need to return to that. But y'all return to your hometown. You go to your hometown. Orpah, one of the daughters-in-law, she took her up on that offer. So this is a conversation between Ruth and Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, Ruth, your sister-in-law, Orpah, has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. And this is probably one of the most uh, popular, well-known verses in the book of Ruth. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. She goes on to say, May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. And that's where we leave it in verse 18. Listen, Ruth had an off-ramp. Her mother-in-law said, Hey, Ruth, listen, we're heading to my hometown. It's not your hometown. We're heading to my people. They're not your people. Like, you're a Moabite. I grew up in Bethlehem. It's not much. Listen, go return to your hometown. Ruth was given an off-ramp. And she did not take it. Listen, she could very easily have followed in the footsteps of her other sister-in-law, Orpah. And I don't think that people would have thought any less of Ruth if she had taken that off-ramp. But again, where was the road that they were on? Where was it heading? It was heading to Bethlehem. Bethlehem in Judah symbolized what? The power and the presence of God. So any road that Ruth took that was leading away from the power and the presence of God was going to lead Ruth away from the power and the presence and the purpose and the peace that only God could give. 
Did you know that there's so many off-ramps once we make a decision? And listen, we all know this because we've all been there. That we can come and we can sit in a church service and we can sing praises to God and we can look at the Word of God and we can feel the Spirit of God move in a mighty, mighty way. And we sit there and go, man, I am so pumped up. I am so committed. And like, man, life is going to change. And we commit ourselves to faithfulness. We, We commit ourselves to turning or returning to God. And we commit ourselves to faithfulness. And then sometime during that week, there becomes a temptation. There becomes an off ramp. Listen, off ramps for us are simply temptations come as disguised. And temptations, as they come disguised, most, if not all of them, they look really good. It's almost like, I, mean, I know that we have a lot of fisher, uh, fishermen in, in, in our church on both campuses. And y'all know this, you don't just put a hook out in the, out in the water and a fish goes, hmm, I bet that looks good. Big sharp piece of metal, I think I'll bite down on it. No, you put bait on it, right? To where it looks good. I don't know if fish can smell underwater, but I guess to them it smells good. And they take the hook, they eat the food, it seems enjoyable at the moment, and then the hook sets, right? Temptations are the same way. Begin to think of off-ramps in that way. Off-ramps are detours or opportunities for us to veer off course away from the path of God and godliness. This is all throughout Scripture, right? So if you're familiar with the book of Jonah, we, we know that God calls the prophet Jonah to go to Nineveh, so he goes down to the seaport. And he finds a ship heading in the opposite direction. So he gets on board that ship. But have you ever thought to think that, of course, there was a ship in harbor heading in the opposite direction that had room and that was affordable for Jonah to pay the fare? The temptations were there. The temptations are for us every single day for us to veer off course. And here's how a lot of the off-ramps happen. They become disguised in a way that make us kind of justify veering off course. Like, for example, uh, uh, an off-ramp, an example of an off-ramp or a detour. Maybe something like this, maybe a thought. Man, life is so hard. Life is so hard. Um, I think people would understand if you just dot, dot, dot. Life is so hard. Sundays are so hard. This season of life is so hard. People would get it if you just slept in. Man, this this time of the season is so hard. It's so busy. People would get it if you weren't plugged into a small group. Man, things are so tight. Life is so hard. And it's so tight. People people would get it. People would get it if, if, if you didn't want to be generous, if you didn't want to give. Sounds pretty attractive, right? Or how about this one? You've been working so hard. If you put the the, the person that you are right now up against the person that you were a year ago, man, almost night and day difference. You have difference. You have been working so hard in chasing after God and godliness. Listen, it's understandable if if you feel that you deserve just a little dot dot dot, fill in the blank. And you've been working so hard. You deserve just another drink. You deserve just, a, a, just an opportunity to go back and, I mean, not, not to go full-blown into the lifestyle that you came from, of course, but you deserve just to go back just a little bit. 
Listen, you've been working so hard. You, you, you deserve a little. You deserve a little long time to where nobody knows what you're doing. You can click around online. It's an off-ramp. Or how about this? And nobody understands what I've been through. If they did, they wouldn't judge me if I fill in the blank. See, it's so easy to justify, isn't it? You know why I know it's easy to justify? Because it's easy to justify within me. But can I tell you this? Off-ramps always provide detours, and detours never lead us towards godliness. They always lead us in a destination away from godliness. I'm not trying to sound legalistic this morning. Listen, Scripture is full of tools, not rules, that lead us to godliness. Trying to walk us on a a path of wisdom here. And if we're serious about turning or returning to God, then we need to prioritize prioritize faithfulness. And faithfulness is coming to a point almost to echo Ruth with a resoluteness. My God will be my God. So when temptation comes, when the off-ramps come, listen, nobody knows what you've been through. Everybody would get it if you just like cut loose and just cussed out that coworker. They'd probably be cheering you. When the off-ramps come, you can identify them as temptations that are disguised to lead you away from godliness. Can I tell you the way that we fight off the off-ramps? It's not to delegitimize the off-ramps. And they say, come again. Listen, let's just be honest. Life is hard, and anybody that doesn't agree with that statement, I don't know what they're living. You have been through a whole lot. I don't know all your story. I don't know all your past. I don't know your baggage, your background, your backdrop, whatever. But we've all been through a lot. And here's another thing that I know. Most people around us, they don't even know the half of it, what we've been through. But you know what helps us to fight off the off-ramps? You know what helps us to prioritize faithfulness? Is not to delegitimize those facts. Is to look at what God has in store for me. It's going back to the moment that I experienced God the most and go, God, being in right communion, being in right standing with you, knowing that I was in alignment with your heart and I was doing what I knew that you were calling me to do and having a peace about my relationship with you when I laid my head down on my pillow at night, that far outshines any temporary pleasure that I may have over here. So it is about letting Jesus outshine all of our other options. And that helps us to prioritize faithfulness. That's what helps us to fight off temptation in our lives. But then there's that third step that we need to take when it comes to living between the promise and the payoff. It's moving forward in hope. It's moving forward in hope. Look with me in verse 19. It says, So the two of them, Ruth and Naomi, continued on their journey. And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. Now, the name, the word Mara, literally means bitter or bitterness. Don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. Call me bitterness. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? 
So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Do you see how just because Naomi made the decision to get on the road and to travel the road that was leading to Bethlehem, and just because she prioritized faithfulness and stayed on that road and arrived in Bethlehem, not all of her pain or grief or her loss or her hurt or unanswered expectations or unmet expectations, they automatically just erased or were erased and disappeared? I think some of us, we, 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 we get into a pattern and we get into a mode of having this expectation of God, of God, I prayed a prayer and I'm still feeling this way. God, I'm, I prayed a prayer and this is still going on in my life. And I believe that the Father is gently looking at us in heaven and going, I know. I know you still feel that way. I know that you are still there. You're still in between the promise and the payoff but I love you, and there's hope. Here's the hope that Naomi found when she returned to Bethlehem. There was a community of people that were excited by her presence, that loved the fact that Naomi returned home. I also find it very interesting that Naomi tells these friends, maybe the people that she had grown up with, maybe it was like this old high school reunion where they're telling stories of like way back in the day after a football game at Waffle House. She's like, listen, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Do you know we have no record of anybody calling Naomi Mara? They also don't look at her and go, Naomi, come on. You just need to suck it up, get over it. You just don't need to wallow in this pity party. We're not going to call you Mara. No, they allowed her to live in her grief and in her pain and in her loss and in her unmet expectations, but they did not identify her by those things. Can I tell you this? If you're new to Riverbend or you're watching with us online, you're new to Oakwood, there's a people, there's a church that sees you, that loves you. And we want to offer a sense of belonging to you. A sense of belonging that comes even before believing what we know that God wants you to believe. It was a beautiful thing that in the midst of Naomi's pain, loss, grief, hurt, unmet expectations, she did not have to go through all that alone. Let me tell you something, church. It's a beautiful thing that whatever we go through, we don't have to go through it alone. There's also something that Naomi and Ruth didn't really know. They didn't really like, it didn't really connect with them, but it's actually how the book of Ruth chapter one ends. It says that they arrived in Bethlehem in the summer right before the barley harvest. In other words, they were very much on the precipice of change. They were very much on the precipice of God shifting the narrative of a plot twist that was coming. Can I tell you, Gainesville Oakwood online? Listen, I don't know God's timing, but here's what I would say. You may very well be on the precipice of God shifting the narrative of a plot twist. But you don't get to the plot twist. You don't get to a shift in the narrative away from the power and the presence of God. So, Oakwood, we're going to stay with you for just a little bit this morning. And I want to walk you through three key questions together. And then Josh is going to lead you all through a time of response. And, and, and Gainesville, we're going to walk through these, and these are going to set up our time of response. And it's three questions that I want you to individually ask yourself. 
So it's so easy for us to ask these on behalf of another person. I want you to ask them to yourself about yourself. Number one, do I choose to turn or return to God? In the midst of your unmet expectations, am I at a season right now to where I need to choose to turn or return to God? There may be some of us this morning that we made that decision. God, I don't know where else to go except for you. I turn to you or I return to you. And you came in with a resoluteness about that. You already made up that decision. Man, God bless. That is awesome. But some of us, we're impacted with the first time or we're reminded about these unmet expectations. And we've got to realize that we've got to do something with them. There's always a road that we're going to travel and every road leads to a destination. And not all destinations are desirable. We can stay where we are, paralyzed by our hurt, by our unmet expectations, by our loss, by our grief. But if we stay where we are, we're going to feel victimized. We can choose our own path. You can, you're very much free to get up after the service and kind of go your own way and do your own thing. But here's what I would tell you, you're never going to experience. If you do your own thing, go your own way in your own power, you'll never experience the power, the peace, and the presence and the purpose that only God can offer you. Or... You can choose to turn or return to God. Third, second question. I don't know why I said third. Second question. Do you choose to prioritize a resolute faithfulness? This can be a point to where we commit or recommit ourselves. Jesus, I want a burning passion every single day just to wake up and go, this is a new day that you have given me. You, have, you love me. You created me with a plan, with a purpose. This is your day. You live it out. Give me your eyes. Give me your ears. Give me your heart. Give me your thoughts to see the opportunities that you've placed around me. God, also give me the wisdom and discernment to understand that, never, that not every opportunity is an opportunity from you. Some opportunities are disguised as off-ramps or detours that will lead me away from you. So before you leave the house this morning, or before you go to bed tonight, Say, God, I want you to wrap me with your presence. Envelop me with your presence, with your protection. God, I want to live this day as a day that I live honoring you. That's living with a resolute faithfulness. And then there's a third question. Do you choose hope? We're going to dive more into this, especially next month. But I think we would all agree that, man, our world... There's so many different ways, so many different avenues that can lead us down living a life of hopelessness. I mean, if you don't believe me, just turn on the news. It's not really chock full of hope. Hope does not mean, as Christians, hope does not mean that we live with our heads in the sand. Hope does not mean that we live with our heads in the clouds. Hope simply means that, listen, whatever I am surprised by, shocked by, unnerved by, unraveled by, God is not. Hope is living with, listen, what I, whatever I'm surprised by, shocked by, unnerved by, unraveled by, God already knows and God is already at work. Hope is knowing that even though I may not be able to make sense of life, God's got it. God is not finished yet and God wins. Hope is clinging on to the promises of His Word. But listen, i got to tell you, and this is coming from a recovering and often um, relapsing pessimist, it's easy to not choose hope. 
What do you need to choose hope over this morning? Josh, I'm going to ask you that you take it away down there in Oakwood. Love y'all. Pray that the Holy Spirit continues to fall and is thick among y'all. Gainesville, here's what I want to ask that you do. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Are you at a point to where you feel that you need to turn or return to God? Are you at a point to where you need to choose to prioritize resolute faithfulness? That may look like you need to recommit yourself this morning. Are you at a point where you need to choose hope this morning? I want to pray over you. We're going to open up the front of the stage for you to come down and pray. There will be people that will pray with you, alongside of you. If you want to pray one-on-one, I'll be down here to pray with you. We're just simply asking that you respond however God called you to respond this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the fact that you know us inside and out. God, what we are surprised by, you are not. What we are shocked by, you are not. God, you have not disqualified us from being a son or a daughter of yours. You're not disqualified, any of us, by by being used by you. God, in the midst of our unmet expectations, regardless of wherever they may come from, God, you are there. God, you know. God, for those of us that need to turn to you or return to you, God, the invitation is open. Help us to understand that you are not standing there waiting to judge us. You are standing there with arms wide open, ready to embrace us. God, for those of us that are really struggling with some detours in our lives, God, I pray that you would bring us back on the path that can lead only to you. Help us to prioritize faithfulness. God, you are, we can walk a thousand steps away, but you're only one step back. And God, there's some of us that we look around at our lives, at our unmet expectations, as life going on around us, and it's so easy to lose hope. God, I pray that based on who you are and the fact that you are sovereign and the fact that you are good and the fact that you are God and working and weaving all things together for your good and for your glory, God, help us to recapture our hope in you. God, we pray that you would move in a way that you call us to move this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website, riverbendchurch.life.